Everybody have good Thanksgiving? Alright. Well, it was a blast time with your families and friends. I think uh, it's always a great time to reunite with our families and um, have some quality time with them. For us, uh, yesterday was Seth's birthday, third birthday, so uh, threw a party for him. And, um, <coughs> party for him, but not so much for me and Deb. Uh, a lot of preparation, but it was still a huge blessing. Um, I got to see God's faithfulness, obviously, to our family. Um, so it was good. It was a good time. Well, uh, let's go into time of the word together. Um, today, we're going to take a little break from uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, one of the reasons being that um, today is the start of a season called Advent, uh, which uh, in Latin means arriving. Um, and it's a time where uh, we uh, are encouraged to think about the meaning of Christmas. And um, Christmas uh, many times can be taken in a more secular way because of the air that we breathe. Um, you know, festivities and, you know, gifts and uh, things like that, which are good things uh, in themselves. But, uh, you know, essentially Christmas is really about um, incarnation, which is a word that describes uh, what happened to Jesus, you know, who was eternal God and he became man um, in order to save us from our sins. Um, so I thought it would be a good time for us to take a little break and uh, we'll be looking at First uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, which talks about the Incarnation. And my hope and prayer is that as we look into this passage, that we will have that um, framework of mind as we go into the season and that it will help us to uh, really anticipate a Christmas uh, as we think about what the meaning of Christmas is. And uh, as we go back to uh, Mark next week, I really hope that um, the stories of Jesus will come alive because we're learning about what it means uh, behind the scenes. Okay? So, uh, so we will look into First John. So turn with me or look, into, uh, look up to the screen. And uh, I'll read... This passage for us, and I'll uh, pray, and we'll jump right into our time of the message together. First John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have uh, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen uh, and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with, with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
that is God's very word. Uh, let's pray together and uh, let's uh, ask God to help us as we um, hear from his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, um, thank you for your grace that is so constant. Uh, we know that our days and months and years uh, go by so fast and there's many ups and downs in our lives. But you are so constant and your love for us is steadfast. It's not conditional. It is um, based upon your character. So we are so thankful that that is so. Because if it is up to us, uh, up to how we feel and how we do, uh, there's really no hope. But because it is based upon who you are and especially what you have accomplished through Jesus on the cross, that it is done deal, we come to you longing to, be, to, to receive and be restored by your grace for us today. As a church too, uh, we've been going through um, various seasons in our lives and uh, in, in our church. Uh, and um, looking back, you've been just so faithful to us. So we look to you, um, you know, for our community, uh, for uh, our journey together. And uh, in that, we are um, content and we are uh, secure. So God, uh, may you speak loudly to us through your word that will also further um, secure our steps as we uh, move forward, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, three points as usual. I uh, hope that will help you follow along. Uh, those points are, first, the Lord that is real. Uh, second, the fellowship that is real. And uh, third, joy that is real. Um, oh, there you go. Thank you. So, let's go into it together. First point, the, the Lord that is real. So let's look at verse 1, where it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Uh, here the author of 1 John describes the word of life uh, with a series of the sense perception language. Um, so he says, he and his associates, you know, we uh, heard this word of life with their ears, saw it with their eyes, and even touched it with their hands. You know, sense perception. So we got that, but then um, the question now is, what then is this word of life that they you know, perceived with their senses? And the author will help us with that in the next verse, which says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. Here at first glance, it can be a little confusing uh, just because the author you know, goes from uh, the phrase, the word life, from the last verse, to now the word, the life, and then at the end of the verse, the eternal life. Like, what is it? 
But here, uh, at the end of the verse, he clearly defines what the eternal life is, right? He defines it as the one who was with, the, uh, with God the Father and who was subsequently made manifest to the author and his associates. What that means is the eternal life, life, and the word of life all refer to the same thing. They point to Jesus Christ, who indeed, as the second person of Trinity, existed eternally with God the Father before the foundation of the world, became human incarnation, right? Um, on the first Christmas day, and was made manifest, revealed uh, to humans around him. So this is all talking about Jesus. Let's make sure of that. And with that cleared up, now, uh, let us consider you know, what the author is trying to say in these in this verses as a whole. He's repeating you know, similar words, again, the sense perception language. And he's emphasizing through these uh, words that he and his associates are eyewitnesses of Jesus. That's what he's trying to say. They're eyewitnesses of Jesus. What they're saying is that their naked eyes saw Jesus, that the wavelength of Jesus' voice traveled through the air and vibrated their eardrums. Then lastly, they, the, the senses and the nerves, their fingertips, felt the skin of Jesus. They experienced Jesus through their senses, their eyewitnesses. And this, by the way, confirms the author to be John the Apostle, right? Who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus because you know, John and the other disciples are indeed the eyewitnesses, right, of Jesus while uh, Jesus was walking on earth. And now John uh, by you know, emphasizing his status as eyewitness, it's essentially saying here then that his teaching and his message to the readers are credible. Right? He's saying, I've seen this, I felt this, therefore trust my message. My message is true and also powerful. It's true in that, you know, these are not fairy tales and or legends. This is not fiction, guys. You know, Jesus actually happened. It's true. But not only that, it's powerful. Meaning, you know, my message is not some sort of a cerebral exercise or just ideas in my head. But this is experience. It changed my life, the lives of the people that also experienced Jesus. And it should change your lives too. It's powerful. That's why him being an eyewitness is very important. He saw, felt, real Jesus. And by the way, the reason why he's so urgent about um, making sure that they believe uh, his message is because uh, in the rest, rest of the letter, uh, we find out that there were some false teachers who are trying to undermine John and his authority. 
and we're trying to lead the readers astray. But John is saying, hey, don't listen to that. I've seen Jesus. Please trust my message. And, and listen with the attitude of embrace, please. Because if you don't, and if this message is really true, as I say this, then you're doomed. You're doomed because this is truth we have to heed. Quick question. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you like to use Yelp or Google reviews before uh, you know, checking out new restaurants? Different crowds. By the way, I, I preached the same sermon this morning in a different church, and I asked the same question. Only one person raised his hand. One person. I was like, interesting. <laughs> let, me, let me just say you guys are cooler. How about that? You know, more up to date with technology. Anyways, um, so so I personally use more Google reviews. Just, I don't know. I don't know why I don't use Yelp as much, but that's what I do. And I do also definitely like to consult with the, the reviews, you know, before I check out any new restaurants. The question I want to ask right now, after that question is, uh, you know, why do we value reviews? Why? You know, why can't we just make up our judgments based on the, the signs of the restaurants or, um, I don't know, maybe the advertisements that they put out? Why, why do we need to go further and listen to other people. <coughs> the reason why we find reviews valuable is because the reviewers are eyewitnesses of these restaurants, right? You know, they actually saw the restaurants with their eyes, they tasted the food with their taste buds, and they, you know, also experienced the service um, of the restaurants with their perception. By the way, one of my friends is a Yelp elite, and uh, you know, she, you know, if you don't know what it is, basically they get recognition, official recognition from Yelp for the quality of their reviews, and she's one of them. And you know, she told me that she actually spends like days and weeks like editing her drafts before she puts posts them on Yelp. It's a serious business, you know. They like really, you know, do their best. It, it's credible in, in that sense. Um, but you see, the reviews of these people matter because they, again, uh, have experienced um, the, the, the restaurants and therefore they, their testimonies are true and powerful, just like John, right? You know, they, again, um, have done it themselves and that they are impacted by these restaurants. Same thing. You know, with John, you know, these, uh, the letters of John here is in a sense, John's reviews of Jesus, you know, and so it's powerful and impactful. And he is asking us urgently that we need to listen to him. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this uh, legendary a news anchor named Larry King. Um, and he once said that, uh, that he would like to do a you know, fantasy interview with Jesus. He's a, 
he's not Christian, he's more secularist, but uh, he said he would like to do an interview with Jesus. And then he said, quote, I would ask him if he believed that he was born of virgin birth, because whatever the answer is, changes or reinforces the world. Meaning, if Jesus really was born um, from Mary by the Holy Spirit, then that changes everything. Then everybody has to change their lives according to what Jesus said. For him, he's not sure. But for those who have been touched by God to look to the Bible as authority, we really need to take good care of how we respond to the Bible. And John is saying, again, loud and clear, by repeating over and over, I am eyewitness. Please listen. Second, fellowship that is real. Verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, John's going to make known to us what the goal is um, you know, of uh, his eyewitness account. You know, he's not just telling stories you know, like a grandpa does, but he is actually having a goal here. He wants to achieve something by telling the stories. The goal is, it says, fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, fellowship, the word fellowship, or koinonia in Greek, is not the easiest word to translate in English. The general meaning of the word uh, is for you know, separate individuals to come together for a common goal. Uh, that's why you know, some other translations uh, translate the word uh, as partnership. So it makes sense, right? Having a same goal, and these are people who came together for that goal. But in 1 John, it's a little different. Uh, if we go to 1, uh, 1 John 1.7, there he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting. Uh, it's more than partnership here, as you can tell uh, from this context. Uh, meaning uh, more than just, you know, some sort of a business task-oriented partnership for a same goal, although that is there. John here is more emphasizing, you know, personal relational aspect of fellowship. You know, they're not just working together, but they're, you know, deep friends. They have deep relationship with one another. And um, it's because they're pursuing the same goal of becoming more like Christ in God's light. As we pursue God, we become close. That's what John is trying to say when he says fellowship. So John is here saying in our passage, that um, when he proclaims this eyewitness witness account of Jesus, and when people receive it, there's going to be this close relationship between him and the, the believers. 
But not only that, he also goes further by saying that uh, this also creates relationship between you know, God and believers too. You see, it's all about relationship, you see. It's saying that the doctrine, the teaching of the Bible is not just, again, for you know, your eyes and heads only. It's, it's really about relationship, meaning God is concerned about creating a community. It's not just stopping at knowing more, but it's about creating true, real community and relationships as a result of um, you know, the, the teaching and the gospel message. It's never, the product of the gospel is never isolation. It's always relationship and community. So now let's look at the, those two relationships that the gospel creates really quick. And first of all, the relationship between God and believers uh, it's the core of the gospel message, right? Jesus came and died for us so that we can be reconciled to God and there's a restored relationship between us and God. So it, it makes sense. But what about relationship that happens between you know, people? Like, why is that? It's because, it's a little more theological, but please follow with me. It's because when each believer believes in Christ, the Bible says that each person is united with Christ. United. Now, Christ is our life. He's our identity. But, but from there, He unites us to His body, body of Christ, in a mystical way, so that nobody is left by himself or herself, but they all join this body of Christ, this organism of Christ. And therefore, now, as different parts of the body, we are united, we are connected. Nobody is left by themselves. We are always connected. And furthermore, uh, we can start calling each other brothers and sisters as God uh, you know, being our father because we have been adopted. Uh, so it's all relationship. And I want you to see that. And that's what God created us for and saved us for relationship. Uh, good question. How many of us uh, are following the World Cup so far? Okay. All right. Interesting. The, the other church was like everybody for, for this question. So it's interesting. Mm, okay. Um, so I think I really enjoy soccer now. I mean, I, I think there's a time when I kind of avoided soccer. Maybe it's because I had a trauma from my you know, soccer tryouts in high school. But now I love it. And uh, I really enjoyed this year's uh, World Cup so far. And it's like really fast and a lot of you know, exciting goals and I've been loving it. Um, but one thing that's been striking me uh, this time around is how close the players are to one another. Uh, in one of the interviews, uh, in particular this um, interview by the, the Korean player, uh, he described the relationship among the players uh, within his team um, using a like familial terms, like a close-knit terms. He was describing that this is family. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty interesting. Because you know, these are all professional players and you know, outside of this team, they're all like competing with, with one another, right? In, in Korea or you know, abroad. But he's saying, you know, within this team, they're all family. They're like, like loving each other. They're like, you know, like a one unit. 
Um, what happened is fellowship, partnership. First of all, you know, they're brought together with a common goal of making their country proud, right? Winning the championship or like, you know, uh, moving on to the next level or whatever. Um, so they're working together for the same goal. But like the, the player said in the interview, you know, it's not just like a machine type of unity for the same goal, but as they work together, as they you know, train together, you know, relationships are going deeper. You know, they're no longer just you know, going for the same goal, but now they are cohesive with one another. Relationship is happening. And, and in fact, you know, the, the deeper relationship between the players, the better results will be, right? Because you know, like there's better teamwork and stuff. That's a good picture of the fellowship in the, the gospel, fellowship in, the, in this passage. You know, uh, when one becomes a believer, you know, he or she is brought into this team called the body of Christ, with a common goal of you know walking in the light, you know, growing in Christ. But they don't just remain as you know separate units, but they become one organism, building close relationships with one another. Nobody's an island, but you know, as they are you know, cohesively united, um, the better result will be in spiritual lives too. Because you know, more deeper relationship, um, the, the better result spiritually too. Um, what that means for us before we move on is this. Um, I'm gonna kind of push this point a little further. The next point, but. Um, I really want you to pause and really, you know, meditate on this as a church. Um, uh, here's my nerdy side. So, uh, there's a really seminal work by uh, Robert Putnam uh, called uh, Bowling Alone. How many of us know this? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, right, this is in like, high school. Uh, AP course or something. Uh, and anyways, um, this, this came out in year 2000. Um, uh, and it's very seminal work in that um, it really like surveyed American, you know, landscape in terms of um, how people relate to one another. And this guy uh, found out and he argues that um, the only time Americans uh, come together and become some sort of a unit is only through uh, bowling leagues. Otherwise, you know, they don't come together, they're just so individualistic and they're so isolated, right? This is year 2000. How have things been since then? I've learned a lot worse, a lot worse in America. Most notably, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, it like really forced us to be isolated, right? A lot of damage, I'll say, have been done. Um, not just to society, but to the church too. Um, what I'm trying to say is that the default right now in the society, and even our lives, is isolation. The gospel comes, it changes our lives, and it's pushing for relationships, going deeper, come out of your shell. Relate to one another. Come out of your comfort zone. And let me tell you why that's the case. Why? You gotta go back to the first point. You see, 
John ex exhorted that his story is real, right? He saw real Jesus. He's a real person. He's not just the idea. He's a real person who really changes people. When that real person changes us, the result will be the real result of what? Making real relationships, tangible relationships with the real people. If Jesus is real, then real relationships are natural result. And the, the, the result, ultimate joy, ultimate uh, product will be joy, as we'll see in a moment. But you see, the real Jesus makes us real people with one another. The fellowship that is real. Lastly, okay, before, before I do that, I want to have a challenge for us. A challenge. So with that, with that in mind, about the relationship, how like God wants us to come out of our shell and relate to one another, how about a challenge as a church? So we got a little more than a month left till the, the year end, right? The challenge is, could we meet up with uh, one person, one person that you don't know as well, whether in your life group or you know outside of life group and anywhere in the church? Just pick that one person, meet up with that person before the year ends. If it's through the prayer partners, through your life group, that's fine. But just one person through the year ends. I think that'll be a good way to apply this point. That we are taking God's word seriously, that we want to become more relational people by blessing others in our church. Amen. Okay. Amen. Let's move on. Third, the joy that is real. The joy. I love this point. The joy that is real. Uh, to me, this shows how real, real John is, real God is. John will conclude this passage by describing for us what the ultimate nature of these relationships that we are to build. Okay? Verse 4, it says this. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, the word complete can have this mental picture. So picture with me. A mental picture of a cup with the water in it. Okay? So complete means the water is to the brim. That's the picture, okay? And in this verse, when it says, you know, our joy may be complete, that means, you know, our cup is like to the brim. But interestingly, the indication of this verse is that the cup is not full. Meaning, he had to write these things uh, in order to make his joy into the brim. Because currently, it's not to the brim. The problem is, you know, if I just reiterate the problem is of, of this church and this, this region, is that there were false teachers who were trying to you know, lead them astray, away from John and you know, the fellowship of God. But they're not doing well spiritually. And that's distressing, distressing John. He's not happy about that. He's not joyful about that. 
When others in our lives, people who, have, who we have fellowship with, are not doing well spiritually, you know, that diminishes you know, our joy. But when they're doing well, that completes our joy. You see the dynamic there? And the question there um, might be, huh, that's interesting, because I thought the Sunday school answer is, if you have God, and if, if God is all you have in your life, then you should be joyful. You don't need other people, do you? You just have God in yourself, and you, know, you just sing praise songs, and you should be joyful, right? Well, again, going back to our past points, how God designed us to be relational people, and therefore, one of the ways that we glorify God through our design is to be through other people. Because we're an organism. You know, I affect you, you affect me. We're a community. So if you're not doing well spiritually, it should distress us. This distress us. It should make us not as happy, not as joyful. And that's how it goes. And that's what's happening with John here. What's interesting is that uh, he doesn't just stop at that distressful uh, situation, but he, you know, does something about it by again writing this letter to correct their wrong. And the rest of the book is really about you know rebuke for these believers because he, John wants them back to the fellowship. He doesn't want them to fall away. And as a result, he wants to be joyful by seeing them being restored in their faith and back to God. Meaning, uh, here's the thing, here's the point. The nature of the relationship that we are to build is that each person must go extra miles, go deeper in genuine care. In genuine care. That's what we need. It's not just, you know, become friends and have a shallow relationship, but it's about going deeper and really caring for one another. Um, it's a quick story here. I, um, I attended my seminary about 10 years ago uh, in, the, in Illinois. And in my first year there, um, at that time, I had not still uh, preached, like, at all, like, anywhere in my whole life. And my former youth pastor at the time, who was leading a church in town, you know, he asked me to preach at um, his retreat. And I said yes. And I thought, hey, I took a preaching course. I'd be fine, right? Uh, but as the days approached, uh, I get, got really nervous. I was like, oh, this, oh, oh, I preach oh, in front of people. Oh my gosh. Oh. And I was so worried and nervous. And uh, and actually, on the day of the retreat, you know, I was walking on campus with uh, uh, some people uh, or a buddy of mine, a friend of mine at the time. Uh, we were just walking in one of the buildings on campus. So I was just sharing with you know, my friend, like, oh, man, you know, I'm so nervous. And you know, in a few hours, I'll be preaching uh, at this retreat. While I was sharing with this friend, out of nowhere, this one gentleman, like, like a lot older, uh, than me, um, and he came up to me, and he goes like this. He says, hey, I just overheard that you were preaching tonight for the first time, and you are very nervous. Stop that. 
stop feeling like that because your job is to serve the people in front of you. You gotta get, up, get over yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. You gotta serve the people in front of you. And then he walked away. And uh, my friend and I were like, what, what just happened? Like, it's like public place, right? Like, out of nowhere, he just comes in and then he like, tells me these things, right? Um, but you know, like, that like hit me hard as I was, you know, preparing for uh, this retreat. Because I realized I was being very self-absorbed. Why was I nervous? Why was I, you know, kind of like freaking out? Because I probably, you know, was worried about, you know, performing poorly in front of people and, you know, uh, looked like a fool. Meaning I was thinking about myself. It was all about me, not about the people I was called to serve. And I remember yeah, that night, I was, you know, uh, as I was thinking about these things and really repenting, I was really able to just confidently preach the word, and uh, it was a really great experience. And um, even after that too, even like to this day, I always think of that episode of this gentleman, you know, telling me these things. Um, whenever you know I got stressed out about you know preparing for sermons or whatever, I always. I thought I always hear his voice saying, you know, hey, stop that. It's not about you. It's about serving other people and glorifying God and helping others, not yourself. The point is, guys, um, this gentleman, his joy was me. His joy was me maturing to be a servant of Christ. To the point that you know, he came out of his shell and, you know, uh, brave enough to tell me these things and just disappeared, risking perhaps my approval of him or, you know, whatever else that might have happened. He cared for me because even though we didn't know each other, you know, he knew that we are in the same body of Christ. His joy was me. That's the point. That's, that's what we are called to do. Our joy must be one another. Our, our, my joy must be you. You becoming better through my service. Vice versa. We're called to have such joy in others to the point that our relationships go much deeper than it would and that's how community is built up. So again, in that challenge that I gave you, if you were to meet up with one person, would you please go a little deeper? You know, I mean, you don't, I, I, the, the point of my story is not that you have to always like, you know, cut conversations and rebuke people and police people. The point is, what would you have to do to get out of your comfort zone to be a blessing to that person that you're meeting up with? Because God can use you to um, 
mature that person and comfort that person. Um, and our community will be much better because of you, because of your sacrifice. So as we, um, again, anticipate Christmas, we you know, learn about Jesus as we progress. Let's remember that it is real Jesus who we can touch, who touches our hearts in a real way. And as a result, we become a real blessing to one another. And if we do that, we will grow and have God's joy in an immense way. May we experience that during this time. Let's pray together. Pray together. Um, just before we sing the song, uh, just, uh, just meditate on uh, who Jesus is together. And I think um, I think it's just really sad, isn't it, when um, you know, believers, uh, people who are seeking Christ, are tempted to treat uh, God's message and gospel as something that we, you know, just kind of insert into our mind, maybe like a habit, and then it, it does nothing to our soul. And I think to that, John is pleading with us, saying, hey, Kai, this is a real thing. If you miss this, it's, it's really doomed. Because this is truth that we are to cling on to. And the reality truly is that sometimes we cannot control ourselves. We're just not, uh, you know, excited about God's truth many times. I'm like that many times, and I know that I cannot fully control myself. And that's why, that's why it's, it frees me when I get to see the truth of how God is in control of my heart. It's His grace that changes me. So I just want to encourage you right now to pray for yourself, for your own hearts, that God will melt your hearts to see this truth of God as you know, real thing, like living and active, and that God would um, enable us to embrace this truth and experience real change, namely um, in us going out of our shell and uh, becoming a blessing uh, to one another. Could we do that just for uh, just a few moments uh, before we uh, sing this song and end our time together? Let's pray together. I just want to uh, just encourage us to think about this, you know, in light of this song that we just sang, in light of the word that we heard. Um, you know, it, Jesus is not real. Paul puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if, if Jesus was not resurrected, then Christians are the most to be pitied uh, for their, their way of life. Uh, the winners are the ones who are just careless about life and just you know, live hedonistic life and um, you know, live like there's no tomorrow. That's true, right? If 
just not real. It's just all figment of imagination that that's the way it is. But it just is real for the most blessed people. If he is real, we don't have to fear death anymore, right? Because he conquered death for us. We, we saw that last week when we uh, read through the, the account in Mark when Jesus raised the girl from the dead. Uh, he conquered death. No more fear. We will live forever. God will wipe away all our tears. Some of us are really going through hard times right now. That there is hope. That's a result of us knowing that Jesus is real. That he's a real person. John did touch him and saw him and heard him. And we believe. Through that, that's how we live. That's how we get through this life and become bold like lions, doing unthinkable things for the glory of Christ. So let's make it all together. Let's, let's pray, asking God to make these promises and realities of Christ more real to us in our hearts. So that as we go back to our respective callings tomorrow, even tonight, we may not lose heart, but we, we will be the most hopeful people on the planet Earth because we know that our promises are real in Christ. Before we do that, uh, let's pray. I want to give us some time to pray over this thing, then let me close for us afterwards. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that uh, your presence is as real as uh, things that we can touch in our lives. That you are our refuge and hiding place and shelter. Uh, the enemy cannot you know, defeat us ultimately. We have your protection. We have your unending love to the end of the age. That's a promise. And by your strength, uh, we can do a lot of unthinkable things, impossible things in your name. All because it is real that Jesus came in flesh and died in our place and he rose again from the dead. And he's reign as king in heaven and he will come back oh lord drill our hearts um, so that our hearts may really receive these things um, and embrace them and live in joy live a life that is um, risk-taking because we have secured in you we're willing to even reach out to people that we normally wouldn't reach out to. Do all that in your name. And give us joy. Help us experience this joy. So we'll be motivated and encouraged to do so more. God help us. As we especially go into this season of Advent and um, you know, 
anticipate Christmas, um, you know, may we come out of this season more emboldened uh, by all your promises that are, again, real because of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your truth and thank you for this community that you have created for us, the community that we can serve uh, by your strength and in your joy. Thank you, Lord. Let's finish our time together uh, by reciting uh, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Let's really pray this uh, prayer from our heart to our uh, loving Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's be seated.